with me in the book of Matthew chapter 16. By the way, those of you guys who are new today, welcome. So glad you're here with us. And we believe that the Holy Spirit has led you here. We believe that you're not here by accident, but that the Holy Spirit of God has led you here. And, uh, and as you are seeking and you are pursuing where that place is that God would plant you. You, know, you cannot be fruitful if you're not planted. And so we believe that as you're praying and seeking where that may be, we are agreeing with you that God would direct you and lead your steps into that family of God that he's planting you in. So if that's Antioch, our arms are open wide. If that's somewhere else, then we rejoice and bless you as you find that place here in this city that God wants to plant you in. Matthew chapter 16, I am going to be speaking here for an indefinite amount of time. I've just done away completely with series. They're dumb. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if you've just joined us in the past four weeks, at the end of December, we received a word that I choose to believe is a word of the Lord for this house and a word of the Lord for this season. And that word very simply was that the next six months, there is a supernatural window of grace to pursue God like we have never pursued him before. Now I've had moments and seasons in my life where I have really pressed in and pursued the heart of God. And those moments marked me and they defined my life in a real radical way. I am who I am because of those, those grace jet stream moments where I was able to go further in God than when I didn't have that grace stream. And I choose to believe that here in these six months, that there is a supernatural work of grace that is available to us. And we're gonna take that seriously. I've been seeking the Lord along with our staff and a lot of our life group leaders. God, what is it that you're saying to us? What is it you're inviting us to believe you specifically for in the year of 2015? And what is our corporate response? I know that throughout the 21 day fast, every single one of us had different directives that God had us on, but they were all wrapped into a corporate response. We were all corporately saying yes, that we as a people and we as a body are going to press in and pursue you in a different way, in a greater manner. And so as we've been tossing this around without giving you a lot of the background here for the sake of time, I've been feeling, been feeling an impression in my heart to do something relative to Sunday nights. And so, uh, and I feel like that has been confirmed multiple times over through different podcasts that I watch or different conversations that I've had. And in fact, somebody came up to me just out of the blue and said, so when are you gonna do something on Sunday nights? I don't know if that, if that's not the Lord, then I really don't know what is as it's combined with so many other things that I was receiving. So beginning next Sunday, we're gonna open up Mod Q. And if you're not familiar with where Mod Q is, we'll, we'll have directions on the website. We'll also have directions out on the Welcome Center next Sunday. Martha, make sure David knows that so we can have that available for everyone. And from six o'clock to eight o'clock, we are going to just say, this is part of our corporate response. We're gonna worship the Lord, we're gonna pray. Uh, there'll be times where I speak on certain things relative to increasing our hunger and increasing our capacity for more of God and pursuit of the unsearchable riches of Christ. We'll be talking about these things. I also feel there'll be people that are here in this body that will also be imparting and also be sharing along the lines of stoking our passion and stoking our hunger for God. And so I wanna encourage you, 
if you're available on those Sunday nights, come out and join us. Kids are invited. We want the children to be in that climate with us. We want them to be in that presence and in that atmosphere of pursuing the Lord. And we want them to see their fathers and mothers leading the way in a holy pursuit of God. So starting next Sunday, feel free to uh, join us in our Sunday night pursuit nights. All of that I shared as a preface for what I'm about to talk about this morning. I'm gonna talk for a number of weeks with the exception of the next two weeks because the next two weeks I'm gonna be talking about ministry crew. But for, for a number of weeks and months, I'm just gonna be talking about the magnificent Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13, the scripture says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others think that you're Elijah, and still others think that the son of man is Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, they don't know. And he says, but what about you? What's going on in your heart? What's happening in your mind? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the long anticipated Messiah. You're the Christ. You're him. You're the one that Israel and all the world has been waiting for. You're the one who's been prophesied for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. I got it. You're the one. Now, he didn't know that before that moment Jesus asked him. There was, there was literally a moment of revelation. The word revelation means for there to be a drawing back of the veil where something that was hidden or uncovered is removed and you can see clearly. And that is what happened in this moment. Look what he, Jesus says. Simon, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but it was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. In order for us to show ourselves faithful to a, an assignment to pursue God like never before, in order for us to be responsive to the invitation of God to press in and to seek him, we must have an accurate revelation of who this man, Christ Jesus, is. If we don't have an accurate revelation of his worth and his beauty and his glory and his goodness, we will have low-level pursuit because our pursuit is always in, in relation to the degree of revelation that we have of this man, Jesus. Jesus' first teaching and prophecy about the foundation of the church, his first teaching about the function and the victory of the church all revolved around a revelation of who he is. And it's not a mistake that in Jesus' first teaching and in his first prophecy regarding the church of the New Testament and the church of the ages to come, it is not a mistake that he spoke first to the leaders and he asked them, who do you say that I am? Do you know who I am? Because if you do not know who I am, you will not be able to build my church according to the pattern of heaven you will be reproducing something that is after the wrong kind if you do not know who the cornerstone Christ Jesus is. This is the most important question that we can ask. It is the most important question that we can ask ourselves individually and it is the most important question that we can ask ourselves corporately. I'm gonna break both of those things down. Individually 
every single human being on the planet must decide who is Jesus. We must decide with great resolution of heart that he either is who he says he is, emphatically, definitively, unquestionably, undoubtedly, he is who he says he is, he is who the Holy Spirit revealed him to be, he is who the scriptures revealed him to be, he is who he has always been throughout all of eternity, or he's not. Because Jesus will either be who Jesus is, he will not be who you want him to be. He will not be who you are fashioning him to be. He will only be who he is. He will only be the eternal second member of the Trinity. He will only be the God of all the ages. He will not be reduced to our low-level revelation of who he is. He is either Jesus, the Son, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah, or he's not. And here's the beautiful thing about this. There's been thousands of articles written about Jesus, millions of opinions written about Jesus, expressed about Jesus. There is only one truth about the God-man, Jesus Christ, and it is that truth that confronts us. When we are confronted with the truth of Jesus, when we have revelation of who Jesus is, we are confronted with a decision. I wrote this down that every revelation is a confrontation. Every revelation that you have of the God-man, Jesus Christ, is a new confrontation. It is a new crossroads in our journey. It is a new decision point that we must make. See, somewhere along the line, we may have been, we may have been duped into believing that to be a Christian is just a one-time decision. No, friend, it is a decision that is made with every revelation that we have of Jesus. And the fundamental premise behind that statement is that you and I are having multiple progressive revelations of who the man Christ Jesus is. And every time we catch a new glimpse of who he is, it demands another decision of commitment. It demands another decision. You are either who you say you are and I will change as a result or you're not and I'll continue to live my own way and refuse you access into the deepest places of my heart. You cannot have true revelation of who Jesus is and remain the same. You can have mental recognition. You can be able to grasp and acknowledge concepts about the historical Jesus, but you cannot have a real revelation of Jesus and ostentatiously choose to remain the same. It is impossible. Never assume that you fully know who Jesus is. Never assume that you have mined out the fullest recesses and resources of who he is. Paul says it like this in the book of Ephesians. He says that the Holy Spirit reveals to us and he says that I have preached the unsearchable mysteries and riches of Christ Jesus. We're gonna talk about that in the next few months. My heart and my hope in these next six months as we preach Jesus, as we explore Jesus, as we explore the Father heart of God, as we explore the beautiful dimension of the Holy Spirit, that every single one of us would come to another place of affection, another place of allegiance, another place of devotion, another place of passion in our heart for the man Christ Jesus. 
I believe that the word that came forth said that if we will pursue him like never before, it will change the rest of our lives. I believe that is an invitation to reset a new foundation on the revelation of who Jesus is. Low-level revelation, low-level living, low-level destiny, low-level purpose, low-level pursuit, full revelation of Jesus, our lives are changed. Never assume that you understand fully who Jesus is. The greatest deception in the church today is that we have mined out all that Jesus is. Paul, in the latter years of his life, spent the majority of his days pursuing the knowledge of the Holy One and in the latter years of his life was still pressing in to find God. Go with me to Ephesians chapter one, verse 17. Ephesians chapter one, verse 17. In the NIV, this verse reads this way, and I'm just moving quickly, just for the sake of time. But Paul says, I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. Let's just break that down. Number one, he says, I keep asking. What does that mean? It means that a true revelation of Jesus is not a one-time event. The Jesus that I know now is not the Jesus that I experienced at youth camp. The Jesus that I know now, I know, let me, let me rephrase this. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but who I know of Jesus is deeper now than what I experienced on my, my first mission trip or the time that I was at the altar when I surrendered all of my life and he, he broke something inside of me and captured my heart and he captured my affection. The Jesus that I know now, I see him more fully, more completely, but I am so far away from the fullness of who he is. I keep asking, keep asking. Beloved, I want you to keep asking. I want you to keep pursuing. I want you to keep pressing. I want you to keep inquiring. I, the, the spirit of the living God is saying, continue to be fascinated. Continue to be curious. Continue to explore the depths of who Jesus is. This is not a one-time thing. He says, I keep asking. This is an eternal pursuit of the character of God. Listen, you need to understand that exploring Jesus is not just a lifelong pursuit. It is an eternal pursuit. It will take all of eternity and then some for us to discover the fullness of the knowledge of the holy. The second thing Paul says is, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you. The implication is that we don't have it. If we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus, he would not have to keep asking that God would give it to us. Number three, he says, I keep asking that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. More on this to come in the weeks to come. But let me just say this relative to this. We're gonna preach, we're gonna, we're gonna just expound upon this particular passage. But I found myself saying, God, if this is so critical to discovering Jesus, if the spirit of wisdom and revelation is so necessary to discovering Jesus, what is the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Is it operating in my life? How do you know it's operating in your life? How can you better partner with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to grow in your knowledge of God? Let these be provocative questions to stir your heart into greater pursuit of God. 
I'm going to assume that I absolutely am dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God to lead me into the rich corridors of his heart. This is what he says right here. He says that you must have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. Friends, I wanna submit to you today that Jesus is not an elementary message. That the discovery of the supremacy of Christ is not some elementary message that we've graduated beyond because we've been in church most of our lives. It is the supreme message. It is the deepest message. It is the most fundamental message. It is the greatest message. It is the most calibrating message of our lives. Who Christ Jesus is. I woke up early this morning and I just laid there in bed meditating in my heart And in my heart, I was saying, Jesus, recalibrate my vision of you. Recalibrate, Holy Spirit, recalibrate. Tighten the lens of my view of the supremacy and the majesty and the glory and the power and the riches of Jesus Christ. Because if we can get this right, everything else will be aligned in our lives. I'm thankful for messages that help us live better, but messages that help us live better won't necessarily marry us in devotion to Jesus when things go wrong. We don't need more self-help messages. We need a greater revelation of the supremacy of this king and this God and this man Jesus so that our hearts will be married to him an unadulterated affection for him, that will be the thing that will hold us in the midst of persecution. Not greater self-help messages that manipulate external behaviors. The word here, where it says that you may know him better is a real fascinating word. It's epigonosco. You don't have to write that down, but the word there, epi, on top of gnosko, gnosko is a word that means to know someone in in and out. It's actually a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. It means to thoroughly know somebody. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that as I'm praying apostolically for you, Church of Ephesus, as I'm praying in the place of intercession for you, I am praying and I'm I'm continually praying that the Spirit of God would come to you so that your hearts would be opened up in a dimension that you've never experienced before to experience Christ in the knowledge of who he is that is that closeness of intimacy and affection that a man and a woman experience together. Now, when we attach the word epi to gnosko, here's what it means. It means to know someone thoroughly. It means to know them deeply. It means to know them accurately. It means to know them through and through. That's the heart of God for us. That is the heart of God for the church in this hour. That is the heart of God for the church in the ages to come, that we would know him accurately. We would know him thoroughly. We would know him deeply. We would know him through and through. That is my prayer for this house. Philippians chapter three, verse 10. 20 years ago as a college student, this was the verse that guided my life. Philippians chapter three, verse 10. This is an incredible passage of scripture. I'd encourage you on your own, begin with chapter three and just read that chapter over and over. But here in chapter three, verse 10, here's what Paul says. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. 
breaking this particular verse down, I want to know him. As I just began chewing on this, I thought, what are the things that I want? What are the things that we want? Other translations say, this is my steady aim. This is my goal. This is my pursuit that I may know him. Friends today, what do you desire? What is it the thing that you have set your affection on? What is the thing that you have set your steadfast aim upon? Is it to know Christ? Is this what he says here? I want, I desire. It is a steadfast desire in pursuit of the heart. The psalmist David said, Psalm 27, verse four, he says, one thing have I asked. Everybody say one thing. One thing have I asked. One thing have I asked. I've got one solitary pursuit of my life. One thing do I desire that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, that I may dwell in his temple all the days of my life. There's a thousand good things, but there's only one thing. There's a thousand things that pull and distract you and steal your affection and steal your attention and steal your devotion. But David tapped into something in that secret place and he says, I have learned the discipline of the one thing. I have learned the discipline of turning my heart to you and cutting away. This is a fasted lifestyle. This is why fasting and prayer is so important. We learn the discipline of cutting the distractions out of our life and pursuing the one thing, gazing upon his beauty. And in so doing, we get the riches of his heart. We are transformed into his likeness. We walk in his power. We carry his heart to the lost. Like Lorraine shared earlier today, Psalm 37 verse four says, delight yourself in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. This doesn't mean that if we have a couple of good euphoric worship experiences that God will give us whatever we want. It means as we show our hearts pliable in his hands, he will knead into our hearts his desires. He will plant into your heart, friend. He will plant, he will sow the seed of a godly desire into your heart. Do you know that you and I cannot even desire God without God? The sinful human nature has no desire for the pursuit of the knowledge of the holy. The sinful human nature, the selfish, self-consumed nature of man does not desire God. We must have God to desire God. Delight yourself in me. Come close to me. Come near to my heart. And I, through our love relationship, through the affections of our heart, transacted with one another, I will put something inside of you that you'll begin saying things like this. I'm not so concerned about what I can get away with. I want to know how far I can go. I want to know how far I can go. I want to know how deep we can go. I want to know how much of his heart I can contain. I want to know how much of him that he's holding back that he wants to reveal to me. I want to know how how incredibly great the capacity of my heart is to hold more of his life. I want to see how far in this Christian journey of the pursuit of the riches of God, you can take me. That is a work of the Holy Spirit that he plants into our hearts. A holy desire. Paul says, I want to know him. The book of Philippians was written in the latter years of Paul's life from a jail cell. This man is 
planted multiple churches. He's seen thousands of miracles. He's raised people from the dead. His handkerchiefs, the scripture says, his handkerchiefs, he would, he would be working and he would wipe the sweat off of his brow and people would take those handkerchiefs and they would give them to a sick person and that sick person would be healed. Where is that in our day? I believe that as we begin to explore the unsearchable riches of this man, Christ Jesus, we will see a return of his power. We will see a return of his miracles. It's not the, we love the miracles, but I want the heart of the miracle maker. Because if I get the heart of the miracle maker, the miracles are soon to follow. He has seen it all. He's given up everything. And this is what Paul says in the latter days of his life from a jail cell, I still am in hot pursuit of him. I am still in hot pursuit of this man, Christ Jesus. Mike Bickle says it like this. He says, God, if you can show me what Paul saw, I can live like Paul lived. How many of you this day, by the spirit of grace upon you would say, I'm willing to pray that prayer. I'm willing to pray the prayer, Jesus, if you will show me what Paul saw, then I will live, I can live, I can live with that level of devotion, I can live with that level of abandon, I can live with that level of passionate pursuit to know you even at the end of my days. Doesn't matter how many books you've written, how many conferences you've spoken to, how many warfare journeys you've been on, what matters is are you still in hot pursuit to explore the unsearchable riches of Jesus? If we're not careful, the things of church world will become a substitute for him. Your knowledge of the word, the, the commentaries that you've read, the seminaries that you've gone to, the, the acclaims that you've experienced in business, the, 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 the wealth that you've accumulated, the family that you've built, those can be substitutes for the riches of Christ Jesus, my friends. Paul, in the latter years of his life, says, I still want to know Jesus. In John chapter 13, John chapter 13, verse 27, Judas never saw him. Judas never saw him. I want you to think about this. This verse says, as soon as Judas took the bread, the situation and the scenario here, Jesus is sitting with his closest friends, his disciples, the men that he hand-selected to follow him, to teach and impart into their lives. And they're sitting around this table and they're having the Passover meal together. And here is what happened. As soon as Jesus handed this bread to Judas and he took that bread and he dipped it into the cup, scripture says, as soon as he took the bread, Satan entered into him. You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that it's possible to walk as one of the 12? Do you mean to tell me that the same man who watched the leper cleansed of his leprosy, the same man who saw Lazarus raised from the dead three days later, the same man who actually took bread from Jesus' hand, and as he distributed the bread, the bread multiplied, the miracle was in his literal hands, and that same man never saw Jesus. That same man had Satan enter into his heart. Friends, I'm here to tell you and appeal with your heart today the moment you think that you know who he is. See, I think Judas thought he knew who Jesus was. I think Judas thought, you know, you're, 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 you're just supposed to be the one who's supposed to rescue us from, from the tyranny of Rome. And the moment that Jesus, listen, beloved, you need to hear this. This is so important. The moment Jesus did not line up with the expectation of Judas's heart, his heart became offended and his heart was turned. 
The moment Jesus ceased to be the Jesus that Judas expected and needed him to be for him, his heart turned and Satan entered into his heart. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, the revelation of Jesus is the most critical thing in your life. Because the Jesus that you and I have built up, Paul said this, he says, people are going around and they're preaching another Jesus. That leads me to my last point here as a church. Who do we say that he is? Remember the scriptures were not just written to individuals. The scriptures were written to corporate bodies of believers. This is a word of the Lord for this house in this hour. Who does Antioch say that Jesus is? Looking back at our key passage, he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father and on this rock, I will build my church on this rock rock. What is this rock, friends? It is the rock of the revelation of the truth of who Jesus is. I've preached this for years, minus one thing. I was, I was about 80% right in my teaching and preaching of this doctrine. It is the progressive revelation of Jesus that the church is built on. It is not the one-time revelation of Jesus, the man who was born in a nativity scene and grew up doing really good things and then dying on a cross and forgiving us of our sins. Friends, that is elementary level. That is prerequisite level. Who is the Christ to you beyond the one who's forgiven you of your sins? Who is he? Who is the Christ to you beyond the one who just heals you when you need to be healed or the one who guides you when you need direction or the one who comforts you when you're sad? Who is the Christ of the now to you? Who is the eternal Christ? Don't, don't you know that in the scriptures, there are hundreds of references on the majesty of the attributes of this man, Christ Jesus, that go well beyond the one who forgives us of our sins. At some point, that fundamental reality of he forgave me of my sins and heals me and gives me money when I need it will not hold you in the moment of tribulation. It will not secure your heart to him if that is the full degree and depth of him that you know. I've only been married 13 years, but I'm still discovering things about my wife that fascinate me. They blow my mind in the best way. I love watching marriages that have lasted 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and I love hearing them talk lovingly and tenderly about their spouse, new discoveries that they're making. Who is Christ Jesus to Antioch Church? The foundation of the rock of the revelation of Jesus is what will keep our church standing. We must have an ongoing revelation of Jesus, friends. We must have a progressively incremental revelation of the man Christ Jesus. The church in America is weak because it is not being built on an accurate and progressive revelation of Jesus. We are weak or strong to the degree of our revelation of Christ Jesus. We stand or fall to the degree that we have a progressive, now, new, fresh, deep revelation of Jesus. The thread that has held the church together through martyrdom, 
that has held the church together through gladiators, through lions, through incredible, immense persecution. It is not good preaching. It is not good Bible doctrine. It is not good books. It is the revelation of the goodness and the power and the greatness of Jesus, the King, the Son of God. That revelation has held the church together throughout all of history, and it will hold us together throughout all of eternity. Who is Jesus to the church today? Is he an afterthought? Or is he the primary focus? Is he someone who pardons our sin or is he the one who has the power to transform our lives from the clutches of sin? Is Jesus just someone who gives us what we want or calls us to pursue what he wants? Is he someone who heals or is he someone who makes you whole? Is he an excuse for building our church or is he the builder of his church? In closing, let me say that Antioch Church will fulfill our role and our purpose and our destiny in the earth to the degree that we have a continual pursuit after a progressive discovery of the man, Christ Jesus. We must be very clear on what we're after here. This church exists for the eternal purposes of our God. I enjoy everything that happens here and I know that every single one of us from time to time perhaps come for a different motive in our heart, but this is the reason why we exist. This is the reason why we come together. This is the reason why we have a 501c3. This is a reason why we do what we do. It is for the eternal glorification of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom on the earth throughout all of eternity. The same Jesus who began building his church in Matthew 16 is the same Jesus who baptized his church in Acts chapter two. He's the same Jesus who corrected and counseled and instructed his church throughout all of the letters of Paul. He is the same Jesus who warned the seven churches in Revelation and he is the same Jesus that now and forevermore will be the king of the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. He is building his family. He is wooing his bride. He is training his army. He is establishing his temple for his glory and his majesty and his splendor that he alone is worthy of. This is gonna be a fascinating journey, friends. This is gonna be a glorious journey into the heart of our glorious king. And listen, I'm hot on pursuit with you. I'm asking you to follow me as I follow Christ because we are after the heart of God. We are after the unsearchable riches of the majesty of Jesus. That is what we want. I'm not looking for good preaching about Jesus, friends. I need a revelation. We must have eyes. Come on, just for a few minutes, would you just, would you reach out and would you just ask Jesus for a fresh, well, let's renew our commitment to pursue the man, Christ Jesus. Can we renew our commitment? Jesus, I'm asking that by the grace of your Holy Spirit, I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give unto us, may give unto Antioch the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to just put your hand on somebody next to you and begin praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be upon them. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation come upon you. 
We're not talking about religious rhetoric. We're not talking about just Sunday services. We're talking about eyes opened to the reality of this man, Christ Jesus, the full depths of his splendor. God, we have, we have only begun to plumb. We have only begun to plumb the depths of your wonder. Holy Spirit, reveal Christ Jesus. Reveal Christ Jesus, Holy Spirit of the living God. Open our eyes, tenderize our heart, sow a greater desire, sow into us the seed of awakened love, sow into us a spirit of abandon unto you, Jesus. For the young to the old, in our children, in our babies, fascinate them with the wonder of Christ Jesus. Captivate them with the full riches of Christ Jesus, our King. Let a sovereign grace come to this house now. Let a sovereign grace come to us now. The grace of seeing and the grace of pursuing. Lord, in this holy place, we renew a covenant the covenant you made with us when you revealed Jesus, the covenant you made with us when, when you purchased our heart as a bride for your son, we say yes again. We renew our vows. We renew our affection. We renew our devotion. God, I pray every day this week, Holy Spirit, hunt us down and awaken, awaken, yet another glimpse of the glory and the majesty of Jesus. In Jesus' name, I bless you today, Antioch Church. Love you so much.